0: All right, guys, this is, oh, this is so fun. I I wish that we all could just clap for them and celebrate with them. We've been clapping behind the scenes here for them. Um, But, yeah, we are uh, blown away by what God is doing. And um, the, what we just saw in those baptisms is, the best evidence of what we're talking about here on Easter uh, that Jesus is alive. And I love what Josh said is that um, this is Jesus being alive is not a concept. Uh, God is not a concept. He's a reality. He's a person. And we just saw the evidence of that fact uh, that he's working the world and in their lives. And anyway, so what I want to do now is give you, the story behind their lives and what actually happened to them, how their lives, how their story was all, I was one way and now I'm entirely different. How is that that that, that can happen? And I'm pumped today to talk about good news. I feel like we, we just need some good news and I'm excited to talk about good news. Um, and so here's the thing about good news, though, is that all good news eventually kind of gets old. And it loses some of the luster, right? So if if I hopped on here and I said, guys, I got a big announcement for you today. The Allies have won World War II. Like, are any of you standing up high-fiving, chest bumping, freaking out right now? No, and it's not because it's not good news. It's that it's old news, but yet, What's so amazing is the reality of the news of Easter, that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again from the dead, is over 2,000 years old, yet here we are still celebrating. In fact, the whole world is marking this day. And so what is it about the reality of Jesus? Well, one, it's just, it's better news than anything else. But I think beyond that, it's not just old news, it's actually current news. That because Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago, that means that we can rise from the dead now. That actually means something for your life now. and But for some of you, that concept that you could rise from the dead, that you could go from spiritual death to spiritual life and live an entirely new life in him and have hope for a resurrected eternity in him is pretty odd. So let's just acknowledge that if, if you're new to this, you got invited by a friend or whatever, that concept of the supernatural world breaking into our earth and someone rising from the dead is deeply odd. And even if you're a Christian, if you think about that long enough, you might start to feel like that's odd. And so to explain that is difficult, right? It'd be like, imagine if someone uh, had lived inside their entire life and you try to explain the wind to them and they would look back at you and say, Oh, so you're saying, that you go outside and then the air just moves all by itself? Sure, right? So so what would you do? You'd stop trying to explain it in theory, and you would just walk outside with them. And as they saw the wind moving the trees, as they felt it come across their faces, they saw leaves blow in front of their feet. What two seconds ago seemed illogical and crazy now makes so much sense and feels real to them right? And so I think the supernatural reality of Jesus is similar. When you think about him in theory and in concept, it might seem deeply odd to you, but once you experience him, everything changes, and what just seems so illogical and odd now seems so normal, rational, and real. And so that's my prayer for you guys, and that's what we're trying to do here on Easter is not celebrate some theoretical idea or some church holiday. We're talking about the reality of Jesus Christ, and we want to encounter him today he's alive and we actually can encounter him. And so that's the prayer. And so I want to talk about what that would look like to encounter Jesus and what it would mean for you to rise from the dead. All right. And I want to do that through a story, a true story from the life of Jesus that Um, is history. It happened, but it also teaches us things about the reality of who he is and what that can do to our lives today. So the story's in John 11. It's the story of Jesus and Lazarus. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and flip there. Otherwise, we should have some of these verses on the screen as well, but I'd love it if you follow along with me in the story. So John 11, I'll start at the beginning here, verses one through three. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, that being Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. All right, and here's what Jesus knows is that his friend Lazarus is not just ill in the sense that he has a cold and is going to recover. Jesus knows that Lazarus is on his deathbed. And so this is that terrifying moment for someone that Jesus deeply loves. One of Jesus's best friends, Lazarus. And in fact, this whole family was kind of like a second family to Jesus. He deeply loved them. And this is that frightening moment. This is the call in the middle of the night that something is wrong. This is the mother of a son who has a son that's off at war and seeing a military official walk to the front door with a piece of paper that the worst news has come to Jesus And here's what you would expect is for Jesus to immediately leave and go to Lazarus to try and heal him. He's healed multiple people to this point, but Jesus actually does the opposite. He stays right where he is. And what we have here, something that we see pretty regularly in the Gospels and that you will see in your personal life with Jesus, is Jesus does something that seems Not only odd, but seems like it's out of a lack of love. But what we know from the text is it's actually the opposite. That Jesus waits where he is, not because he doesn't love Lazarus, but actually because he loves him. And so we don't know yet why that tension exists, but we know that Jesus is up to something. That he wants to reveal to Lazarus and the family something about himself. And so Jesus waits. And in the process of Jesus waiting where he's at, Lazarus actually dies. And after Lazarus has died, Jesus with his disciples travels uh, the couple day journey to Bethany. And as he starts getting into the outskirts of the city, this was a small town. And you have to imagine that almost everyone in this town would have known this prominent family of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And so the whole town is grieving. And as Jesus is walking with his disciples and getting closer to this house that he was familiar with, he starts hearing the sounds and smelling the smells of death. You guys might know what I'm talking about where you go to a funeral and you smell the flowers or the mini ham sandwiches or those, those things that are sort of traditional at funerals. And, and it reminds you of death. It reminds you of the funerals that you've been at in the past. And so Jesus is likely thinking about his memories that he has with this family. He's likely thinking about the funerals that he's been to before and the people that he lost. And and outside of this home, he has this brief conversation with Martha. And while Martha is outside, Mary is inside with the mourners. And so for us culturally— what we typically do when someone dies is we have a public service, but from then, from then on, we tend to try to respect the privacy of the family who's mourning the loss, right? So we kind of give them their space. But this culture was actually the opposite of that, where there was this communal mourning process over the course of several days. And Bethany was only a couple miles outside of Jerusalem. And so a, a group of Jews had come down from Jerusalem to mourn with this family. And at this time, uh, there were all of these ceremonies and traditions surrounding the process of death. And there was actually um, professional mourners. There were women who were wailers, who they would come to the place, to the house of mourning, and they would scream as part of the, the marking of this death. And so Mary is in this house with these group of Jews, and she's she's in this tension of she's mourning her loss, but also trying to be a host for these people that are in her home. And she's feeling just that deep awkwardness of death. If you've ever been around it, you know what I'm talking about, that there's something that is just deeply weird about death. It wasn't ever supposed to happen. And so no one actually knows how to respond to it. And everyone acts almost embarrassed. And so so Mary's having to deal with people that are coming up to her and saying things that they think are helpful, like, we're so sorry for your loss. Let us know if there's anything you can do, thinking, what in the world could you possibly do to bring my mother back or my brother back? And she's looking at these professional whalers that, that are screaming, thinking, you didn't even know my brother. And they take a break to drink some wine, and she's seeing just the oddness of this, this whole formality, this ceremony of death. And then she hears that Jesus has come, the one person that maybe can do something about this problem. And she runs out of the house and these mourners, uh, see her run out thinking that she's going to the tomb of her brother and so they follow her and so now what you have is a parade of death moving through the city. Mary is running to try and find Jesus and there's these mourner, mourners following along behind her and Jesus likely heard the sound of death before he even saw Mary. He heard the mourner screaming and Mary turns the corner and she runs up to Jesus and the mourners surround Jesus and they get awkwardly quiet in the way that that only a crowd of people can do when they're trying to be respectful of someone who's lost someone and mary and jesus are standing face to face with this crowd of people around her and mary falls at the feet of jesus in the dust and this is what she says verse 32 now when mary came to where jesus was and saw him she fell at his feet saying to him lord if you had been here my brother would not have died I don't think this is accusational. I think this is her inner grief and her desperation trying to figure out the seeming uh, circumst- the, 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 the seeming coincidental circumstances that if Jesus had have just gotten there a couple days earlier, Lazarus wouldn't have had to die. And she's, she's confused and she's questioning, verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And so Jesus looks around at this scene, he looks around at the consequences of death, and it says that he's deeply moved and his spirit is greatly troubled. I think that word greatly troubled is a little bit too soft in this translation. Jesus is angry. He's shaken. He's rattled, which is shocking because Jesus seemingly never gets rattled. This is the guy who was in a boat that was about to be tipped over by a storm and he was taking a nap. This is the guy who has hitmen that are out for his life, and he's completely unfazed by them. Yet in this moment, Jesus is angry, and he's rattled. What is he angry at? He's angry at death. And yes, at physical death, but, but the word death in the Bible means something even bigger than just the, the, the pure act of death. It means everything wrong with this world that this place was supposed to be good. There wasn't supposed to be any suffering here. This place was never supposed to experience death. Funerals were never supposed to happen. People weren't supposed to know how to try and cope with loss and grief and mourning and pain because this place was supposed to be beautiful and pure and good. That's the way that God designed it. And Jesus looks around at his ruined world that's been ruined through sin, the failures of human beings, all of our failures that have ruined his good creation. And Jesus is angry because he loves his kids and he sees his kids, the people that he cares about, hurting, and in pain. And he knows this isn't the way that the world is supposed to be. He's angry at what death has done in our world. And this is what I want you to see, is that Jesus is angry at death in our world too. He's angry at what COVID-19 has done in our world. He's angry at the sin that causes suffering and injustice in this world. He hates some of the things that you've gone through or that your family has gone through. He's pained by it. And it actually says that Jesus weeps. Jesus cries with you in the middle of suffering and pain in the seeming hopelessness of this world. And when these people see Jesus, angry at death, they ask the question, kind of the the question, the most confusing piece of human existence, verse 37, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? If Jesus hates death so much, why didn't he do something about it? And here's the answer, is of course he could have Kept Lazarus from dying. He's performed miracle after miracle. Jesus could have stopped him from dying, but he didn't. Why? Because Jesus had something better. He had something better coming. And in fact, verse 4 explains what Jesus had coming. Verse 4 says, But when Jesus heard it said that this illness does not lead to death, it's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus had something coming through this. He didn't want just a simple healing or to, to try and get rid of a little bit of sickness. He wanted to reveal his glory. So we don't, we don't totally understand that word glory. Sometimes you hear it used in the sense of giving God glory. It's something that we give him. But in this sense, it's actually being used as something that, that God gives to us. And here's what it means is that God wants to reveal the weightiness and the beauty and the power of who he is. And so Jesus is saying, I don't want to just give you a temporary fix. I want to give you myself. Because what had been happening to this point is that Jesus had been talking about who he was. He he was explaining to them that he was the bread of life, that he was the fountain of living water, all these I am statements about his character, but they had been missing it because they were distracted by the blessings that Jesus was offering them. And so in this moment, Jesus allows them to endure something that's difficult so that he can reveal something even greater about himself. He didn't just want healing in the moment. He wanted to offer them resurrection he wanted to offer them the fullness of himself and the fullness of his power and so jesus starts heading to the tomb of lazarus so they they move to the tomb and jesus stands in front of the tomb and he says open up the grave okay i want you to imagine this Uh, a close friend shows up to a funeral late gets there a couple days late You've already buried your loved one. And he comes up and he says, I missed the funeral. Dig up the casket. It is a shocking request. And they respond in the way that you would expect them to respond. Jesus, no, he's been decomposing for four days. The smell will be terrible. We're not going to open up the tomb. But Jesus looks at Martha and Mary and says, do you trust me? And so they open up the tomb And the smell is terrible. Maybe people are running away from the smell and Jesus walks towards the tomb and stands in the stink of death and he prays to his father. And people might be thinking, Jesus, couldn't you have done this before you open up the tomb? But he stands right there and he prays to his father and he says, God, I've known what you were going to do all along, but I wanted you to do it here to reveal something about yourself. And so he prays to his father and then he looks into the tomb of his friend and he says, Lazarus, get up and Lazarus obeys. The dead man lives at the words of Jesus, and Lazarus comes hobbling out of his grave with his grave clothes still tied around him, and Jesus says, untie him and let him go free. Question, if the plan was to have Lazarus raised from the dead, why didn't somebody else do it? Why hadn't somebody else raised Lazarus from the dead? It would have saved Jesus some effort walking two uh you know two days to, to come to Bethany. Well, obviously, because no one else has control over death. Death has power over everyone and everything and wreaks havoc on the world until the creator of the universe showed up. And, and if Jesus before was showing humanity by empathizing with our pain, he is now showing that he is the creator of the world. And at the voice of the creator, life springs forth into this man, and death has nothing to say because Jesus has power over death itself. And Jesus reveals his glory, the glory that he is God in the flesh, God coming to earth to push back the sin and suffering and pain of death in the world and to offer a new way of life. That's the glory that Jesus reveals in Lazarus. And the crazy thing is that is actually just a symbol. It's just a small look into what he's about to do. And that's what we celebrate on Easter, is that Jesus three days later dies or that jesus dies and then three days later comes back to life declaring himself as the king over the universe with unchallenged power that is his glory and the amazing thing is is that easter again is not just about how jesus got out of his grave but about how you can get out of yours that you can rise from the dead in christ let me explain what i mean In order to do that, I want to go back to the conversation that he had with Martha before he raised Lazarus. In verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So Jesus says he is the resurrection and the life. And then he explains what he means by that. So let's take the resurrection first. What does it mean that Jesus is the resurrection? Well, that little phrase, when he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, explains that. And I think that wording is a little bit confusing. I like how the NLT says it. NLT says this, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. How can a person live even after they die? Well, here's what that means is that if you believe in Jesus, if you believe that he really was who he said he was, that he really is the creator of everything, really did rise from the dead, then you can become like Lazarus. So all of us were decomposing and rotting in our sins. Our our souls were rotting because of our rebellion against God and choosing to live the way that we wanted to live instead of the way that God wanted us to live but Jesus was unafraid of the the smells of our failures of our regrets of our weaknesses of our pain of our doubts of our denial and he walks up to our spiritual tomb and he calls your name and he says you can come to life the voice of your creator calls out to you and says come to spiritual life in me but the, the crazy reality is that's not the end of our hope, that, that actually the hope is not only that we can spiritually come to life now, but that what's spiritual now can become physical later. That's what he's saying when he's saying that even after death we can live, is that one day Jesus will come back again, and he will give us, if we believe and trust in him, new physical resurrected eternal bodies, I mean like a literal body that can jump and run and laugh and and eat. And this is our hope, is that one day Jesus will make this world right again. He'll resurrect the entire world and we'll get to explore it with him without the grave clothes of suffering and aging and sin. That is our hope, is that after death we can come back to life in him. And here's why, is because Jesus takes what is his from death. So, so here's the deal. If, if you own something, you have the right to claim it back. And here's what death did is it stole you from Jesus and Jesus is reclaiming you. So here's the deal. I, I really like my pens, uh, rolling ball, extra five V fives right there. They're just beautiful pens. I just love them. And you can borrow my pen, but you can't take my pen. And so if I see somebody who took my pen, what am I going to say? Hey, give me that back. And that person can't argue with me because I'm the owner of it. This is what I'm saying. Jesus owns you, and he one day will say, give me that back from death, and death will have no argument for Jesus. All right, so here's the second part of what this all means. The second little clause in there of Jesus being the life says, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So we talked about that never die part, but what does it mean? to live in jesus well it means that he doesn't just offer you eternal life in the future he offers you eternal life now he offers you a new better way of living right now that in the resurrection he proved that he was right about all of his teachings all the things that he commanded that those are the good way to live and jesus offers you the opportunity to live like that now so so here's the deal I, uh, it it was, it was last Sunday afternoon. I had myself, uh, if you guys have ever heard that kid's book, Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I had myself a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And it it started with, uh, guys, my, my neighbor has an incredible lawn and, uh, I, I invited my neighbor. So if you're on for the first time, your lawn is amazing. All right. And here's the deal. I feel when I go outside I feel lawn shame I just I feel envy of the lawn and I my lawn is just not living up so I decided this year I'm gonna have myself a good lawn and I decided I'm gonna try and fix it on myself the problem is I don't know how to do anything practical you engineers and problem solvers you tell me that I can do practical things if I just watch YouTube videos on how to do it well I did, and I still can't. So I'll save you the gory details of that. But essentially, I forgot half the things I needed at the store, couldn't go back because it's crawling with Corona, wasn't worth it. And so I don't have the things I need. So I go to do the one thing that I do have is fertilize the lawn, watch all this stuff about it, for some reason, mess it up, probably made my lawn worse, not better, might have killed it. Who knows? We'll see what happens. Find creeping Charlie everywhere, which is a death sentence for a lawn. So I'm just already in a mood. And uh, you might be thinking, Jordan, have some perspective. There's some other stuff going on in the world. This is not the worst thing that can happen. Yeah, fair. Well, I didn't have perspective. All right. I I was, I was focused on the lawn, no perspective. And so I'm already just struggling and I go to water some new grass seed that I planted and my hose was broken and I started getting sprayed. I mean, it wasn't dripping. It was spraying me in the face. And so I'm blinded by this water getting sprayed in the face, reach down to try and shut off the hose and in the process, smoke my face on the metal hose holder that's connected to my house. I still got a little bit of a mark there. Don't know if you can see it still there. And so I'm standing there dripping with water and blood and a little bit of shame at not knowing how to be a functioning adult human being. And I uh, didn't respond super well. And I, it ruined my day. I was kind of a, a jerk to my family after that, um, was short with my wife, sort of annoyed with Graham and was going to spend time with Jesus later and didn't just watch TV. And it, the, it ruined the rest of my day. All right, so what happened in that moment? Well, what happened is I forgot where true life is found. I actually denied the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which might sound a little bit odd. Here's what I mean, is that Jesus said, hey, Jordan, you don't have to live for stupid things like a lawn. Your happiness isn't found there. And I forgot it. He said, don't covet your neighbor's stuff. And I did. He said, don't be quick to anger. And I was quick to anger. He said, serve and love your family instead of selfishly thinking about yourself. I did all of the opposite things that he said would lead me to life. And guess what? It was terrible because I forgot about the new life that he had offered me. And so I've got to come back to Jesus's way of living. And so this is what I'm saying, is that you can't find life in anything else but him. And you'll be tempted to try and find it in stuff as stupid as a nice lawn or as good as a a family, or a career, or success, or morality, but none of those things can actually offer you life. None of those things are actually worth living for, and Jesus will often let you walk through difficult things to expose the emptiness of all of those things, so that you'll come and fall at his feet, and find out that only he has life. And so again, he pulls Martha off to the side to have this conversation, to essentially say, Martha, I know you have all of these theories about what's good and what's true, but in practice, do you trust me? Have you come to believe that my way of life is the best life, and, and life can only be found in me? And this is what he says, and I, and I want you to think about this. Jesus today is pulling you off to the side and asking you the same thing that he asked Martha. This is what he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Not theoretical, do you believe in God? Practically, personally, do you trust me with anything? And this is what she says, verse 27. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And in that confession of belief, Jesus turned all of her suffering into joy by offering her himself. So the question for you guys this morning is, do you believe? Not in Easter theoretically, but in Jesus practically in your life. Is he the place that you go for eternal life? Do you believe? Let's pray. Jesus, um, Yeah, we just confess that you are the only place that life is found. And we want to find it in you, Jesus. And we praise you that death couldn't hold you, (laughs) that you were powerful enough to rise Lazarus from the grave and then to rise yourself from the grave, and then you can rise us from the grave and help us to believe Help us to believe in the future, hope that you've offered us as Christians that one day will rise to be with you in a new world, and that everything that is sad and broken about this place, you will make new and good in your power, and help us to believe in an opportunity to live a new life now. Help us to turn away from living for, for dumb things with no perspective, and help us to, to live in the way that you've described for us. Help us to find life in you, Jesus. And we celebrate you today. We love you. We trust you. Amen.